Welcome to Top 5 Comics, guys talking about comics, events, movies, and stuff. Today with us is Jay. Hey guys. With us again is Ross. What's going on? With us also is Mike. How's it going? Special guest today, Dave Wall. Hello. And of course, CBS running everything. Hi. And Rob. Hey. Hey. It's Rob. <laughs> okay. <separate> so, <laughs> yes. It's at least two, maybe more. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about uh, Batman Inc. 8. Um, also, Legend of Static Cloud number two. Kind of a pitfall trap for old Dave since he's got rights and he's here with us. Um, Just Leave America number one. Nova number one. And uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 0.1. So, uh... You want to go and start today, Ross, by telling us how much you hate Grant Morris? Yep, hate Grant Morris a lot. You know, um, kind of had a lot of crazy stuff happen in Batman Inc. Number Eight. Um, I, I don't know. As much as I don't like him right now because of the things he's done, and also he he did pull it off fairly well, and I've heard it's something that he's planned for a long time. I, I would say that's true. It's, for me, it's kind of hard to believe because of all the crazy stuff they've done up to this point, and then just to end it the way they did. But uh, anyway, so Batman Inc. Number Eight is—if you haven't seen the cover—it's just like the Batman Rip storyline, only it's Robin, and the Rip is the Robin sign. It's got crazy Robin on the front. You um, kind of go through it, and, and uh, you start off uh, basically. Batman has told Robin he can't go out in the open because Talia wants to kill him now. Which seems odd to me mm-hmm. because she went to a whole lot of trouble to drop him off at the at the manor whenever Daddy wanted to live inside of him. Mm-hmm. And then um, that sounds really bad when I say that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Kind of how that story went, actually. It, right, it is. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then all of a sudden here we are, and it's like deathmatch style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know how it got to that point, but I think it was something about Robin just eventually gave up on wanting to do anything for his mom and Pretty chose much. to go with his dad, and I think that's kind of how that happened. So that made her mad? Yeah, apparently. I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, sorry, can I just ask one question really fast mm-hmm. about that? Uh, since you guys are in the retail business. Right. Uh, in the solicitation for Diamond, did they have that Robin with the RIP? No. Like, Oh, so it's not like people knew ahead of time that that... Because no. I was going to say, they were kind of telegraphing what they were going to do. Yeah. <laughs> if, uh, if you knew that was the cover ahead of time. They, they even went so far as to uh, Batman and Robin, I want to say number 19, 18 or 19. The cover was drawn by Pat Gleason with Batman and Robin both on the cover. And then right after that issue came out, Pat posted on his Facebook um, the picture with Robin darkened out because it's a black silhouette picture actually mm. so they went all the way to like creating a fake cover and i only got to see as early as i did because me, me and pat are kind of friends but the fact is that he drew it that way knowing full well it wasn't ever going to be the cover That's so funny. they set it up pretty much without letting anybody really know what was going on the only real hint we had as, a, as like a retailer is like the week before it came out they're already announcing the second prints and how, oh, don't miss the second print. And I'm like, really? That's weird. So we ordered some second prints, and it turns out we probably should have ordered more. 
What's really funny about, like, the whole secrecy thing behind that is, like, I don't know, two days before it came out, DC straight up on their website told everyone what happens in it. Well, they leaked Before it to the New York Post article? Yeah. Yes. They, oh, yeah, the, the New York, yeah, the New York Post. Post. Yeah. Oh, but DC Harvard. promoted the New York Post article yeah. themselves. Like, yeah. when they... And it's so, just funny, because it was before the book came out, so no one got to read it before they announced that. And so it was spoiled. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it, that it... Didn't that same thing happen at Marvel... With the Spider-Man thing, mm-hmm. yeah. I wonder if you, th- you think that might have led them to do this the way they did it because they saw how the Spider-Man thing came out. It's possible. I mean, they did the same thing with the Fantastic Four. It did actually bring more people to the book, just because you know they they already knew that they were looky lose. They they knew that it was going to happen. But I don't know. You know, if you're going to do that, you know, you'd think you want to hit the retailers up first and then go spoil it. I don't think any of them know how to do it right. Like they don't they don't understand it. They don't understand the world of retailers. They don't understand like because they're they're after something different. Right. Puts the retailers in a really tough spot. Well, and they definitely can, and it makes it it makes it tough for the reader because you know I mean you you want to get that issue. I mean, we we were already doing it for the people that we had, but you know. Anybody that was interested in this character that now was just kind of a casual fan and wanted to get that book, well, it was gone before anybody had a chance to even think about it, just because we didn't know. Did they offer a trade instantly for it? Not yet. Oh, not yet. That'll be tomorrow? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Possibly. Like they did with Death of uh, Superman? Right. Didn't they offer that trade, like, instantly? Yes. In that crappy paper? Yes. Like they did those cheapo trades? Um... Mm. My guess probably with this is that we're going to go all the way through Requiem, which is going to be like all the little side tie books, and then we'll see it. Or this might be the capper for one of the trades for Batman Inc. Probably. They'll probably do what they... So, I don't know. In DC's Infinite Wisdom, they put out the hardcover for Batman, which is volume two at, at this point. Um, and the, the first volume's fine. They do one through eight, and so it makes sense. Then they put out a... Not a second volume, but more of a middle-of-the-road volume. So the first one's called Court of Owls. The second one's called Night of Owls. And what Night of Owls was all about is all the issue nines that are bat titles, Saber the Batwoman, all had a tie-in book, including All-Star Westerns, because it's Jonah Hex and Gotham. And that particular hardcover carries all the number nines, and then number eight and number ten of regular Batman. Hmm. So if you're reading the series... Yeah, you could get Volume 1, then get The Night of Owls, which is not labeled as a Volume 2. But then the end of this month, we're going to have Volume 2 come out of Batman. And Volume 2 has Issue 8 again, yeah. Issue ten, 9 again, and then 10, 11, and I think 12. And what's The Night of Owls? Like, the villains have one day where they had to do something, kill somebody, uh, kill Batman? This this was actually, it was kind of brilliant in the way that they did it, actually. Um the idea was that there was always this nursery rhyme in Gotham that the owls were, you know, in the shadows and that they were the ones that had built the city and so on. Now, was that nursery rhyme always there or did they retroactively create it for the story? I'm sure it's retroactive. Oh, okay. I don't recall. That would have been pretty cool if there actually was a nursery rhyme that they were, that they were doing it with. But you know, that's, right. that's the thing, though, you know, because, you know, comic history is so deep. Yeah, it might have been. But, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, it's okay. It's not, like, super deep history. But they did do something cool where, I guess, Scott Snyder probably knew a little bit beforehand that he was going to be uh, writing the new Batman. And he was writing, was it Detective Comics right yes. before? Mm-hmm. And he actually went all the way to putting his owls in Detective Comics as, like, little 
little things, so they weren't like major well, things I know he in pushed, there. I mean, this was his push. I mm. know that he pushed the whole idea. Because mm. I remember when I was first hearing about meetings about it, mm. there was it was all his oh, brainchild. Yeah. yeah. So maybe he was already knowing that he was going to do it eventually when he did it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he did. But um, when it comes to the Night of Owls, basically the court has decided that Batman is not Batman City anymore, and they want to take it back. And so they choose that night to show like how failing the bat is, and they send all of their agents, which are called the Talons, out to cripple Gotham. And it actually has Batman have to call in all of you know his favors and all the people that are actually connected to the Batman. And so for one night, we have all the Bat family working together, trying to stop all these different Talons all over the city. Mm. And to their great credit, they don't succeed all the time. So there was a lot That's of, true. like, important people in Gotham that wind up being killed. Which, you know, I mean, not yay for death, but yay that uh, <laughs> the story didn't just right. end so clean, you know? It wasn't always the same. Yeah, it's not just like we're wrapping up the story and then nobody really died, and no, oh, hey, evil was punished, but... You know, uh, but that's what that was about. It was, it, it was bringing in Jason Todd, it was bringing in, you know, the Teen Titans, it was bringing in um, the, the Birds of Prey... And all of them kind of having their interaction in the yeah. in in the Bat family in Gotham, you know um, the the oddest tie is actually Jonah Hex, who's in, in he's in basically like Western Gotham, um, kind of in the God, I'm not sure the early 1900s be, I suppose yeah. you know, and he's running across the owls as it's first forming, and so he is coming across like the second or third towel never made, and Wayne and Bruce Wayne's descendants sort of yeah. Whatever. Yeah, that that particular story crosses a lot, of, like Free the old. Sentence. So we're talking about like Arkham's old, like the Amadeus Arkham's great grandfather. Like the whole setup for it is, it's pretty cool considering it's like old Gotham, but it's told from a point where they could say anything and it'd be it would be something that would be believable. Right, right. So that definitely helps. And like I don't know the one thing that Snyder did really good with it is like he's able to tell the past and present together. And for whatever reason, it's not something you automatically call bullshit. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I heard you talk about that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's true. It's like, <laughs> that it's a, young Bruce Wayne, like everyone... Right. Like how not, you, not everyone could do that well. Yeah, how you do a story about Bruce Wayne when you know everything about Bruce Wayne. <laughs> and you talk about being as a kid, but it's one of those things, like, you see it in other books, and you, you read it, and you're like, wow, that's bullshit, because there's no way... It, it doesn't make sense. But the way he's done it, it surprisingly enough, it's, it's viable. Like, really... He does it really good, that's all, I guess, as far as that goes. Um, bringing it back to Batman, Inc., um, I don't know. I don't know if I feel that this was as well thought out. I don't know if, if like, Grant needed more time or wanted more time or what the deal is. Because it really doesn't feel as baked as it should be. But if I don't know if you've read Batman and Son, where Damien first comes into the picture, if you recall, he gets messed up. In that too, mm-hmm. his mother brings him back to the lab or whatever you want to call it. That's he, right. He, if you remember, mm-hmm. he he was he should have been gone, done. Yeah. And they replaced this, they replaced that. I mean, he's back again. Yeah. This That's, is true. I guess actually, before we get too far, we haven't really said what happens at all. So if you haven't read Batman Inc. Number Eight or the news, apparently. Uh, I'm a spoiler alert here, but <laughs> you might you might skip a little bit forward and like go like three or four minutes, yeah. and then we'll be on the next book maybe. Yeah, but uh, basically in Batman Inc. Eight, 
uh, Robin gets killed. We think he gets killed. Yeah, it, it looks like he gets killed. Harley but... looks like he's getting killed. I mean, it just looked... Batman's just sitting there, Robin in his arms. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean he's dead, but... It's very prolific, very... Uh, Implied. Jason Todd death, yeah. Yeah, not to mention we already have a bunch of aftermath stuff. Not saying that, that, that it's a permanent thing, because... Uh, R.I.P. on the cover. Mm, I think it's right. yeah, yeah. signed, too. Well, but, you know, you know how covers are. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> right. Okay, well, going with the idea that Grant Plan is in the first place, um, I'm going to give you Batman 666. 666 is the flash-forward story where we deal with Damien as adult Batman. And Gotham is a hellhole. It's a mess. And he's still fighting a good fight, but he's extreme just like he's always been. And he's he kills kills for the sake of killing because that's the easiest way to be sure they won't come back. And it, it, the, that future is very bleak. But in that same set of books, or that particular issue, they make mention to at one point Damien having to trade his soul to not die. And we think when we read, at least when I read it the first time, I thought it was like a metaphor. I thought it was like he traded in being hardcore Batman instead of regular Batman in order to keep the city in control, sort of. Mm. But I think that's it's more... Right, that's that's what I got from when I read it. Did Grant Morrison write that, too? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, 666 was his. So um, it may be more literal, yeah. yeah. I, I'm thinking it's more literal at this point. Yeah, and I, I could definitely see that, too. Um, I remember actually thinking the exact same thing when I read this one, was, was I wonder if that's what's going to happen later, because... Right. Recalling all those stories like that of adult Damien, and I think is ultimately what will probably happen. I just, I just wish it wasn't like last issue. Oh, I'm going to go show Bruce why he needs Robin, and then he goes and dies. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I'm going to show that Batman needs Robin to die. Yeah. Um, however, real fast to there were some great, great points in this book. Um, we get to utilize Tim a little bit, although I don't think Grant likes him as much as the other Robins. But we do get a great moment with Dick and Damien where mm-hmm. they get to go over and talk about like how well they work together. And, oh, we should do this again. And we actually get to see like that partnership that was so prolific in the Batman Robin stuff. Which yeah. was yeah. also like if they did a, like a small arc outside of that, that would be an awesome arc. Just Damien and those two. Okay, whenever this whole 52 thing started... Mm-hmm. <sighs> And I, some of you know this already. I, I always said that would it be really awesome since back before they did the, the new 52, we had Batman and Robin where it was Dick Grayson as Batman and Damien as Robin. And then Bruce came back from the time stream and that get, gets righted and we have two Batmans for a while. But whenever they restarted the universe, I always thought it would be really awesome if we got a Nightwing and Damien book and called it Dynamic Duo because it would be awesome because the two of them together was great. It was yeah. really good because it's like having so our normal Batman and Robin setup is Batman's brooding and Robin's eh, lighthearted and kind of uh, whimsical, not necessarily like Bat- Spider-Man whimsical, but it's the two different contrasts. In that book, it's flipped because it's Dick Grayson playing Batman and Damian is Bruce Wayne. So it, the two of them, it totally reverses. Like you got this brooding, angry Damian, and then you got Batman's kind of like, hey, chill out. You know, it was, but it was really pretty cool seeing the switch between the two of them. I think that, as a, as a dynamic duo book, would have been awesome. Mm. They would have been great, just because it was a cool connection. Another like really really cool thing that like Grant Morrison did do in this that I liked a lot at least is he definitely went to the all the way to like referencing like '60s Batman almost with his wow. with his Damien and Nightwing and having all the crazy sound effects in the 
in with them fighting, and I'm like right, yeah. fighting together. It's is really cool. He he definitely did a great job of that, mm-hmm. you know. And I I don't know, you know. I mean, it, it was tough for me to explain to some people why Batman Inc. wound up becoming such a prolific book because so many people were convinced that Batman Inc. like existed in its own universe. Well, yeah. the previous run didn't it just carry on? I didn't start reading it until the new 52. Pretty close. Um, certain elements did, but it still kind of got a little bit of a 52 upgrade. The big thing was, like, a lot of the events that are happening in Batman Inc. go on so quickly that they don't have time to catch up with the rest of the stuff that's going on with the rest of the Batman U. And that was kind of what I think was making people kind of upset with it, is that... They really kind of were like, well, it's its own universe, so why do we care? And then we kill Damien, and it's like, oh, shit, now he's gone everywhere. <laughs> yeah, well, it, him as a character, I mean, there's a lot of potential there. So there's a lot of things, I mean, if, if he is actually dead and stays dead, there's a lot of a lot of things that you're kind of missing out on. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Damien going to his first prom, for instance, <laughs> think about that. <laughs> you know, okay, that could be pretty twisted. Yeah. Uh, just a lot of things they could do with that. I don't know, man. I think it'd be ladies, man, just like his dad, probably. Mm. Lady Slayer. Maybe. No? I don't know. That's the, a, even, like, way back and not in New 52 stuff, but when they did that Halloween special with Damien and Supergirl, right. you gotta kind of see him at a party like that, and mm. that's, they had, like, all these college girls that were like, oh, he's so cute, and... He has Supergirl dressed up like a giant bunny for some reason. Because <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and the the interaction between Supergirl and, and Damien was fantastic, and it's something that we lost completely in the new 52. But well, just because Kara's not the same Kara anymore. Yeah. As far as the rest of it, though, I mean Damien's pretty much the same. Uh-huh. But yeah, yeah, that is unfortunate because the the whole idea he uses her like a like a tool, and then she straight up sells in the book. Um, she said, you can't use me like a tool. Batman doesn't use Superman like a tool. And Damien stops for a second, looks at her, and he's like, uh, yeah, he does. Now yeah. use now use your, use your hypersonic vision and look at this thing microscopically. And uh, she's just like, oh, okay, and does it. Yeah. So pretty pretty cool. And yeah, it's too bad that we don't have that anymore. But Kara's a different Kara, so it's not. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked out the same. Not in this universe, no. But it was good, though. Well, one of the things they did do, kind of like what, what you were thinking, um, and it was one of my favorite parts, actually. I might have mentioned it last time. You were talking about Damien a little bit. Was they started introducing giving him pets and stuff to try to make exactly. him feel more like a kid. Bat cow. Yeah. It was awesome. It was like my favorite thing ever that they've done in a long time. Allow him to be a, a yeah, kid. Yeah, just to have more, a kid and you know, have like some pets awesome. and yeah. Ross likes super animals. That's true. <laughs> That's good. It's fine. You can't say bat cow's not cool. <laughs> I, you know, beforehand I wouldn't have believed someone saying it. But having seen it, it is kind of <laughs> awesome that he's got a bat symbol painted on him in blood. Yeah. Well, I think it's actually his natural fur pattern. It looks like he has a bat on his <laughs> it face. It does, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's actually pretty cool. More than anything, I think it's funny that, like, Grant Morrison <laughs> went all the way to reading, like, a Tiny Titans comic, and was like, oh, this is pretty funny. I'm going to make it happen in my book. True, because it did happen to Tiny Titans first, yeah. yeah that's uh, where it came from. That's true. Are you you kind of sound, like, pretty happy with him again. Yeah, I like I like that part, but I don't know. We got mixed feelings about Grant Morrison. It's understandable. We should read Joe the Barbarian. It's great. <laughs> uh, let's move on to uh, Just League America. So, uh, Just League America. This is the book that they did 50, what, 53 covers for? Was so that, yeah, I think so. Every every state got one and there's a USA flag. So isn't that 53? Well, every state 
plus a USA flag. Hey, how many states are there? 52, right? <laughs> 51? There's 50. 50 states. Oh, they did the US flag, and then they did Puerto Rico as the additional. Oh, right, Puerto Rico. So Puerto Rico is the oddball additional state. <laughs> Regardless, every state got their own flag, and some were really awesome. I don't know Alabama had such a racist-looking flag. It's not really racist, but, like, white with red X sounds racist to me. And, like, Michigan's flag? Awesome. Like, deer fighting over some random thing. If you're from Michigan, this is not an insult. Or from Alabama, not an insult either. South Carolina, I don't understand, because it's almost like you're in the in the tropics or something. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's almost funny to see all the flags and be like, wow, I had no idea that, like, anything like that. Right. Well, that's true. Anyway, this this particular book, I, you know, I I can't give I can't hurt Jeff Johns too much. I mean, he's he's a good writer, and I, I like Booster Gold and all of his Avengers stuff was good. Like his Titan stuff was good too, even though no one cared about the Titans at the time. No one cared about Booster at the time either. But they they were good. And the dude's a good writer. But I this particular book, like part of it, if you haven't read other things, and me and Dave kind of talked about this earlier, if you don't already know what Green Arrow's deal is. Uh, you have no idea it's Green Arrow when you see him, like, at all. When I saw it, I automatically knew that's who it was. And I, I don't know if it's because I read most of the beginning of that and then stopped at, like, number 7 because it wasn't good. Yeah. Got back 17s. Way better, guys. Way better. 17, 18. The new new team on it's awesome. And then you you talk about Catwoman. She's pretty well given because, I don't know, everyone knows Catwoman knows. Vibe, this is definitely meeting him in this, so I'm okay with that. Hawkman, I don't know. It doesn't feel like uh, Hawkman fits his own series in this series. Like, he's he's crazy in there, but I don't think he's crazy like he's crazy in this. And don't get me wrong, I like the idea that he just, like, does whatever he wants. He's like that guy from Lethal Weapon 3 with the license to kill, or, no, what is it? Diplomatic Immunity? That's what I like. I don't like that old man in that movie, but I like I like that idea, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense at all. Anyway. Um, in the first issue, something, like, needs to happen. Right. And in this first issue, it was just getting the team together. I guess usually it would be like there's some kind of ticking clock. We got to get the team together because something's going to happen, and then that thing happens, and then the team fights them, and then you know they move. Even though they don't like each other, they gotta you know right. go together. This one, the ticking clock was this kind of weird. We got to get together because the other Justice League might do something wrong, My and we man. need to be ready for it. But then all we saw was the other Justice League in. in snapshots of Wonder Woman and Superman kissing each other and that robotic or whatever, that mysterious Justice League that we know isn't really the Justice League. Right. Uh, maybe. So it felt like it was missing something. Like it should have been a double-sized issue and they cut the second half out. Yeah. Right? It, it also featured such a heavy amount of Steve Trevor. You know, it, it was yeah. more like Steve Trevor has to come together and do this. But Steve Trevor is really only important if you've been doing a lot of Justice League. Mm. So, right. yeah, it seems like he's only important in relation to Wonder Woman, right? I mean, what's his... In, in quite a way, yeah. In, in Justice League, he wound up being, like, he was the one who found Amazon Island. He was the one who, you know, fell in love with Wonder Woman and stuff. And he became the liaison for the Justice League and the regular U.S. Army. And that's all well and good, but, you know, it's, it's kind of missing in this version of the Justice League. And, and i got to say, I do like Jeff Johns, but that one page in there, I don't know, am I ruining it? Spoiler alert? No, I'm not saying anything. At so. this point, you probably should know we're about to talk they about They die. Uh, there's, that, <laughs> there's that one page where he's like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And she's like, don't you want to protect her? And he's like, tell me more. 
Yeah. And it was weird. Like, what, why would that? Yeah. Why would that like, change anything? Kind of a, kind of a pushover. <laughs> yeah, I kind of thought that was odd too. It's like I don't even care about her kissing Superman. You know what is that? That doesn't even mean anything. Uh, it was just. It was strange. Like, why? Why? Why did that mean something? That's that's a very good question, actually. I, if that would have been me and my ex-wife. Be, I don't care. You can have her. Take, <laughs> right. Take, take her. You have her. Let them have their super babies. <laughs> I like how what they're more worried about is the two of them making out. Dun dun dun. <laughs> like I just think of it as him being like a jealous old ex. Like he's just like, oh, I I need to get back at her or something or probably. Like it doesn't make sense that he's doing all this just to counter the Justice League. Okay, well, it it does it a little bit, but it. But then yeah, the whole uh, we're gonna help them. Unless they do something wrong, are we going to hurt them? I mean, I just don't even get, like, it's a first issue, right? Where, like, you're supposed to understand what the status quo of this of the book's going to be. And I have no idea what this, I mean, I know that there's all these disparate characters that I, maybe people care about them. No offense. Right. I know the uh, the Vibe fans out there have been missing him. Okay. Uh, yes. But it seems all, almost like, two of like, them. like two Avengers, of them. Great, great Lakes Avengers or something, you know? Like, they're... Right. I, I I, I'd it. say more <laughs> West Coast than Great Lakes. <laughs> West Coast okay. I used to work on West Coast Avengers a really long time ago. So. Oh, really? Yeah, but really? The, West, the West Coast was awesome, but they were all, like, right, if you were looking at the, the B thing, level. Because also was the whole Hollywood angle, like, uh, super star? Star Girl. Star Girl, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah. it is. But I mean, like, even Hawkeye. Like, Hawkeye was the leader of the West Coast Avengers. And there you go. Oh, man. And maybe now I didn't did. even put two and two together. I read, you know, Clive Barton. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> that's for you, that's for you, Kurt. That's for you, Curtis. <laughs> Iron Man was in it. There, that was the you know the heavy hitter. Well, Martian Manhunter. Mm-hmm. You know, right. yeah. Because I mean, Great Lakes is just they were they yeah, were the I, joke. No, I, meant but West I get what you mean. <laughs> no, I I completely no, understand. Big Bertha and I forgot right? the Great Lakes Avengers. Oh, oh God, God. God. those Mr. were the books that I worked on. Mister Avengers were part of that. Oh no, Mister Mortal Doorman, Dinosaur. Big Bertha, Flatman. It's like there's so much continuity. You know, I'm a guy who uh, I apologize. I don't know much about the DC universe in this current state, and all the all the things like all the subtext of every single character. You know, the whole Martian Manhunter memory right. thing, and I just didn't understand any of it. Uh, and obviously, it wasn't designed for me. Obviously, the New Fifty Two in general is not designed for me. You're not the only one. It, it's actually, it's, it, that's how we all kind of felt. Well, not all of us, but a majority of us felt that way when it first came out. And I thought the whole idea was to be a jumping on point for new people. And maybe it was if you jumped me. on at that moment. Right. I, I don't think, I, I don't think this one's designed to be, uh, here's where you start because you haven't read anything else. I, like what you said earlier, like most of these characters were in the middle of doing things with them. And the whole Steve Trevor angle, if you haven't read any of the Justice League of America, yeah, it's wasted on you. The whole idea that him and Marsha Manor knew each other before um, also wasted on you. Well, I, I, I have to say WTF on that anyways, because... Yeah, yeah. W- how, how do they know each other, really? Was that during his old Stormwatch day? Because yeah. who, who's reading Stormwatch? Well, it wasn't. I was reading Stormwatch and it wasn't. Also, and that's the thing, too. So then I don't know if it's something that even fans don't even know about, because it's all kind of mixed together and, and you know, yeah. stuff that is really known versus stuff that... Don't you remember that time when we did that thing on the satellite? Liberties here and there. Is, I think more than anything, what's been going on is he's been leaving a lot of stuff out to come back to. 
but uh, Justice League of America was definitely more like a like a building up to from this is what I've been doing this whole time, and then this is what it's going to come to is uh, this Justice League of America, right? And so with the it's a reward for reading all the other stuff. Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. And that's a uh, kind of even like the Steve Trevor with Martian Manhunter thing is something that it didn't happen in any of the books yet, other than like one page. Of that, where you found out the Martian Manhunter was a member of the original Justice League for a little while. And that's where him and Steve Trevor had their connection. Right. Okay, I I guess I I did space that part out a little bit. But given the way this book even starts is very much in the past, Mm. because, like, the first three pages is a conversation that we saw back in Justice League of, um, like, eight or nine? Mm. I don't don't remember which issue it was, but it's straight from there. So more like a nod to the fans that have been reading it already. I don't know, there's some there's some cool things in there. Like I I, I do like the way uh like okay, so I have not read Vibe yet. So I don't know if they mention his brother or what I perceive to be his ghost brother in that book or not. They do. Okay. So I I wasn't off when I was I watched and his brother seemed like he disappeared to me because he's really not there uh, for us. No, it was that was just an accident. He's supposed to be there. That was a story. Yes, I think that's a different brother. Yeah. The, the... Really? Because the way it looked to me is that he's walking down an alleyway, and one second the dude's not there, and one second the dude's there. And I'm like, hang on, is that a freaking ghost? Sweet. Vibe is out of phase, and he's out of phase, and he sees dead brother. And that's kind of what I was thinking, too. But I, I think what it is, after I kind of went over it a few times, was it's actually just a different brother. He just has a huge family mm-hmm. type thing. Okay. Yeah, he's, th- there, was, um, there was an older brother that wanted... It, out of the, the Vive context, sorry. There was an older brother that wanted the younger brother to be able to achieve and go to college, and like he was laying the groundwork for his brother to have a better life. And then the attack from Darkseid happens, and we see um, Vive gets uh, trapped inside of the mother box opening. Right. And that's what makes him have his powers. Well, the older brother, you know, freaked out and grabs him and yanks him free, and you wind up costing his life in the process. The other brother, the third brother, was a young guy like him, too, and he was kind of like, oh, I don't care about education, you know, I'm just going to make it on what I can do. And, you know, now we flash forward five years, and they've kind of grown up, and, you know, we still see our main character, you know, Vive, as, you know, gone off and tried to make something of himself, and the kid brother is just mooching out to him, and it's like, he's, the, the brother is more like what we saw the old Vive as, you know, almost like a street punk. Whereas this one's like trying to make his own way. The Katana and Vibe book are meant to be like secondary parts of Justice League of America. Right. I think it's a bad news that we tried to rely on you buying three books to enjoy one book. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you but, that. With Reedy Katana, that's very much what it is. That basically sets her up. So if you if you didn't already know her from Birds of Prey or from the previous universe for the most part, yeah, it's more like you need to read all three books in order to understand the one book, which... I don't know. I, I guess I get from a marketing standpoint. Oh, so you need to read the Katana book to know what that Katana story is about? It definitely makes more sense. You get, you get a little bit extra, just like you do with Vive. You get that little extra. So when they're talking to him about, oh, his picture's blurry, we explain that in Vive. Right. Oh, his brother died. Well, we explain and that in Vive. Katana's hunting or whatever the yeah. she's about. Mm-hmm. And and you're, you're right. I, ultimately, I thought it was still a good issue but it is one that's like, if you're just coming into the universe, this is a horrible book to start on. Strange to be called issue one. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which, of course, I mean, you, you can't call it anything else, though. Yeah, yeah, it's the first one. But, but yes, you're, point, you're right. Point, Marvel point one it, man. 
Well, the point one is not going to help anyway. <laughs> no, you're right. It's still not going to. One point six. Leonard point five. That's a Bill Cod man. That's yes, bad. Yeah. <laughs> Leonard part six is what it was. Yes. So just so people know, if there are no other Leonards. I looked. We like to start <laughs> in the middle. I wanted to find out about that writing ostrich. Right? That's a whole yeah. other thing. Getting off topic. Right. <laughs> you sat there and listed the Great Lakes Avengers members, and now you're talking about that movie. <laughs> Evidently, I watched some 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 garbage. I've told you, Cayman Rider is where I'm at, and that's man. But Cayman Rider is not. It's it's funny, <laughs> but unless it's black, and in that case, it's just dark and it's it's eighty, so it's still kind of funny. Well, it, it, it's <laughs> it's kind of unintentionally funny, right? But I, it's okay. I still love it. But you know, I I watch a a lot of bad stuff sometimes. So. <laughs> that's probably true. I also have most of Camera on DVD. Camara. <laughs> like the, the turtle? Yes. Oh, well. right. Of course. <laughs> Giant lizards. Anyhow, so do I we have no problem with that. There you go. I, I was actually still really surprised at the end. I didn't call that being Green Arrow. I um, thought it was somebody else. No, I, yeah, as soon as I saw him running around through the woods, like, the way he was running around. Really? I, yeah. 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 Straight, straight off the bat. I, I thought it was Bushido for sure. Like, when I first seen him, I was like, oh, great. I like Bushido. He's like a really small time character, and that's like Jeff Johns is That's what Jeff Johns likes. Yeah, he likes true. small characters. Well, maybe they forced him to put Green Arrow in it. Maybe. I don't know. I, they, Actually, I guess that would be he forced himself to put Green Arrow in it. So I guess it doesn't make sense. It's true that they take I have to use Green Arrow. <laughs> I put him, put him in Justice League Eight and say he was going to be on a different team. Fired. Mm. <laughs> well, they were setting him up to be a part of this anyway, so... Well, it's strange to me that David Finch is drawing it, because I know that he doesn't like to do team books. Hmm. Well, I guess this is a team book that never had the team together. So maybe, I guess when Brian Michael <laughs> Bendis was doing uh, Avengers, is that the one yeah. they did together? The new young new event was it New Avengers? New Whatever. Avengers. I know that like he was having him draw like every character on every page, and it was like something crazy. So maybe this, he's like, I'll do it, but I can never do the whole team in one page. <laughs> Ten, technically, he got that. Drawing the, the Age of Ultron, didn't he? Is that him? No. No, no, no. no now he's strictly at DC. Oh. Yeah, he's uh, he's uh, the previous Bat Dar uh, ben ba Batman Dark Knight. Uh, and the first, uh, I think, is he still doing that one? I think he gave that up to do this. That makes sense. I think Jason Fabah took over for oh. Dave who looks yeah. Like yeah they do look similar does he? oh maybe okay Van Skyver he has a similar look regardless but yeah I, with that I, I don't know I, it's, it, I guess it is a little weird we'll have to see how long he stays on it because it's one of those like he was writing Batman Dark Knight the first the first run before the DC restart and doing art for it too, and that book wound up it wound up slumping a little bit, but it's because he was doing everything. So I understand why. I mean, as far as that goes, it wasn't bad either. Like there were a couple issues that felt well, one issue that felt a little disheveled. The rest of them were fine though. I, I didn't really have a problem with that. I like that one. That series just fine. The newer ones more hit or miss. Like what's going on. The Scarecrow stuff was really good. Like it was it really cons like consistently good. But other than that, there's a lot of jumping around. And we what, what, did a new writer come in for that though? Was that with I don't, Paul Jenkins? I don't remember who wrote that, actually. I know it, was, it wasn't Dave. Um, I don't remember who was writing that, but it was good. Uh, Robin, do you remember who wrote it? No. no. It was good. Like, they painted the Scarecrow, like... I don't know, man. Like, we we could probably walk over there and look. Sorry, folks. We'll send Robin a mission. 
uh, the whole setup with it, like, they paint Scarecrow in that particular run, they paint Scarecrow really, like, real-world dark. Like, he's always kind of, oh, I'm going to give you some fear gas, and you're going to be afraid of shit, and then, I'm swearing too much, you're be afraid of stuff. And, uh, it did this, like, it's the same sort of setup, but the way they paint him, like, they show some flashbacks of him t- testing his horror gas on, like, kids and stuff, and, and it seems to be a little more, um, serial killer-ish yeah. type mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's way more real world dark, which it made it really good. Like it was, it, it was good stuff, man. Like, I I like that just fine. I I don't know. It does like America wasn't bad. It just uh, there's definitely pieces. So if you feel like there's if you've read this book and you feel like there's holes, you're not the only one that feels that way. It's it's very much that way for everyone. So I I you know give a couple more issues and maybe you'll pull like a Grant Morris where all of a sudden issue five of Action Comics makes sense with Black Superman that's also the president. <laughs> That looks like Obama. It wouldn't surprise me. Jeff Johns tends to do that just as yeah. much, where you'll get through, like, five or six issues, and be like, ah, I see what he was doing back there now. Right, well, like, with Booster Gold way back in the day, with that whole chalkboard with Rip, and, mm. like, everything that happened over the next, like, six years at DC was on that chalkboard. Yeah. Crazy. Something else really, really quick, um, that, you know, Steve and I had actually figured out, like, right from almost the very start of Justice League that we knew he was going to do that they've started doing in Justice League of America now. They're not calling it this, but he's definitely building the Legion of Doom. Like, that, that's that's what he's yeah. doing. In like, old-school style, yeah. Uh-huh. I think he's calling it the Secret Society right now. And it, was, it was kind of in the end of the last Justice League, which led into this, too, but it's partially in this, too. And that's when you see the start, and he's running through a swamp. And right. And it's like, oh, it's, he was running from the... Legion of Doom's headquarters. Wasn't that in the cartoon way back when? Yeah. yeah. Well, you better not put Aquaman on a damn giant seahorse. Oh, that'd be <laughs> awesome, that, though. That's like the best thing Aquaman has. <laughs> oh, oh, I love the giant seahorse. <laughs> the, the author is uh, Greg Hurwitz. Ah. Oh. And he's he's still doing You're it. Right. So, Which, uh, his take on Jervis Touch on the, the Mad Hatter. Uh, yeah. Anyhow, we're not talking about that book today. He was shaking his head when he said that, because he just know what was going on. All right, so anyway, Just League America, it, it's not bad. It's just, it's one of those that, like, you needed more to try to make it make sense to everybody or anybody, which most most books need to be written that way. If you can't, I don't know. It's 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 one of those. Like, yeah, but you've also read a lot of Justice League, and, like, a lot of, you know. So for people that are, like, new to it, yeah, you wouldn't have any clue what's going on. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the thing with Justice League of America. It's, it's kind of payoff if, if you've been reading all the other stuff. You really like it a lot. And then apparently if you haven't been reading much, everything just seems crazy and like out of place. Which I think it'll it'll mellow itself out by issue three, and things that's will be fair. make 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 sense, yeah, I think. Anyway, um, want to move on to Nova? Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I, I got to preface this before with saying that you know, Nova was one of those things, it was kind of like a guilty pleasure, and I knew he was a joke for a while, and then we get into, you know, the Annihilus War, and Nova is freaking amazing, and so, I knew from the start that I was really going to love the book anyways, but I was surprised with the release and how incredibly awesome Nova really is, so, that's just, that's my take. So you like it? Yeah, I really enjoyed Nova. Um, the end of the last Guardians of the Galaxies left us with having Nova in a real perilous place. It also left Peter Quill and Thanos. We don't really get the answers for that in this, but they took it in a direction that 
I never expected. They asked a question that, you know, we should have been asking from the beginning, which is, you know, we all know that Nova is, like, gold and blue, so why does this Nova have a black helmet? I don't think I ever asked that question all the way to the point where this book came out. And they pay off for it. It's fantastic. Yeah, they actually did a really good job with it. And the guy doing the art for this one's Ed McGinnis, and he's he's fantastic anyway. A lot of veins with the big guys, but it it doesn't matter. Like he's he's good. He's fantastic as far as like an artist is concerned. But I I like his style a lot. But like like Rob was saying, the whole idea of the multiple colors. Uh, we have a whole legion of green lanterns that are different colors. And while the helmet you might not have thought mattered, like, I never even thought about it either. Like, I remember seeing him and being like, whoa, Nova looks different. Never once did I register the idea that there was a different color and it would mean anything. So the idea they do that is really pretty cool. Like, the, the whole setup for it, they make different helmets are, like, different levels in the whole core thing. Mm, different branches. Of the different branches, yeah. Corp. Like, the setup with it, I don't know, as far as, like, setup is concerned, with the way we start this one, we're not even starting with our regular old Nova. It's a different guy entirely. And we, like, see him out in space just battling, which is awesome. And we find out he's got a family back home, and Nova Corps aren't supposed to have families. It's kind of like the Jedi Order thing, I think. The, the uh, secret Nova Corps, the the, uh, the Black Ops version of the Nova Corps, mm -hmm. they're supposed to be soldiers that are willing to do whatever they, they have to. And so because of that, they don't want them to have actual connections to any kind of planetoid or, you know, life outside of the Nova Corps. And so, yeah, he was he was supposed to be very Jedi-like and not have a kid or not have any kind of relations. And, of course... Just a preface, and I, the color of his helmet, our no, the current Nova, is a black or an off-blue, like a dark blue. And the priest was gold, and it was always gold. And the setup, the difference between them, just, this might be too much, mm. so... But it, anyway... Um, the black helmets are like your black ops guys, so they'd be like the ones you send behind enemy lines to do what it takes to get done, like Rob said. And then gold domes are like your regular army you send out that has to play by the rules. And they have to be respected and have to be respectable. So if you take it you know, from a Green Lantern standpoint, that'd be like your, uh, what the Guardians want Hal Jordan to do, and then what Hal Jordan really does do. Because he's kind of a dirty player, which that's what we like him for. You know, I guess sort of. You have a question. That, that'd be Guy Gardner, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. But they all play so by their own rules, man. Saying Hal's good is like it's not really a good choice. He killed everyone, man. I kind of feel like they're they're not quite like Alpha Lanterns, and I mean the comparison is there, of course. I mean Nova is basically the Green Lantern of Marvel, but uh, I, I like this angle for it. I mean the. The idea is like that this group is kind of an elite, and they kind of look down on the other group. Um, the neat thing is that this group may have been around and doing its missions well after the original Nova Corps was wiped out, and so they may never even realize that the Gold Domes, you know, had gone away, and you know, so the Black and the Gold may never even have come together to know that the others are still out there. Uh, we find out in issue one that. At least this group still knows that the Gold Domes are out there. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, we don't want to have any help from them. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, it, it turned out really, really well. So, I never, uh, when I was a kid, I never liked Nova. Mm. Never liked it at all. Could not relate to it. And this is trash. <laughs> I'm oh, kidding. Man. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, this here, I, I, I didn't, I was kind of, eh. okay. I'll check it out. But. 
the way it's written and drawn. It's uh, almost cinematic, I mm. guess. It's almost like yeah. a movie, and it kind of reminds me of a movie, but I can't place it. Mm. Just the way it's done. Um, well, it, it's. I guess what's good about it is it's it's kind of a simple story. I mean, it's it's basically like. Yeah. You know, okay, boy, you know, his dad is always talking about all these great space adventures and all these things that are impossible that could possibly be done. And, you know, he kind of always thinks, oh, it's just the whiskey talk. It's just him being a drunk, you know, it's my crazy dad and his space adventures. And, of course, we find out it's true. So, I mean, it's very, like, last starfighter. Crazy janitor dad that he covers for. Yes. And I do love that the principal looks like Strickland from Back to the Future. And, you know, his little <laughs> sister who believes all the stories he tells. And this kid's like making snide comments behind the scenes, like to infinity and beyond. I love that line. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, things get real. <laughs> oh, um, the other part I like is that they do, in a way, tie it to the Guardians that we'll see later, because we are talking about, I guess, this newish alien race in Marvel, the Bardoon. Yeah, I've never heard of them before, so. You know what? I want to say they were in uh, X-Men a long time ago in an annual. What are they called? Bardoon? The Badoon? Sounds Badoon? a little familiar, yeah. yeah. I, could, I think. Yeah, I think they might have been around from a long time ago. It's possible. I mean, that's one of the things, like I said. You know, I think they broke up Marvel Universe, so I do, you know, you I'm an right. expert. I have a PhD. There you go. <laughs> it's good stuff. Who's, is, it, is it Mark Wade that is the DC historian? I felt oh, really bad. Man. He must be out of work now. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't get to be a historian anymore when he yeah. comes out. There. He's still working. Man. <laughs> man, don't feel bad. He just doesn't he's... get to use that title anymore. He can't yeah. be like, "I'm Mike Wade, DC historian," because now there's he's no history. He's fifty-two historian. Does there we go. go. Does, he, does he need that title at this point? No. no, but it was it was awesome that he had that. I just feel bad that you know. Oh man, Got all that college <laughs> time wasted. <laughs> It'll come back, I'm sure. Yeah, right. we've been that's saying that true. for like a year and a half. So yeah, we gotta go like five years, then it comes back. Yeah. Oh, that's right. There's still time. <laughs> right. Crisis. We have, we have, that's true. That's true. It's only a matter of time before a crisis happens. So right. But either, either way, getting back to Nova. <laughs> right. The with the yeah, the whole setup. It's pretty. It's really pretty cool. I mean, you see that the kid, he's his dad's told him these stories forever, and all he's seen is his dad continue to get older and drunker, and the, that makes the stories not hold water. So it's no different than like when you're a kid, even now, like in the real world, whatever. You get told stories when you're a kid, and, you know, eventually you find out that maybe the trout was only like a foot. It wasn't a monster. You know, things like that. It's just, it's one of those things. But the way they do it in this thing, the setup for it, when you see prior, just prior to the end, and this might give away too much, again, I mean, I'm not good at that. The kid wrecks, he hits his head, right? And then after he hits his head, is the big reveal at the end of the book. And I'm not going to give you people that, but it is awesome. It is. It, it is. It's great. But uh, the hit on the head makes you think that maybe he might be crazy. He's not. But we know he's not. I but the rest of the world's going to think he is. The thing about this character, this kid, is he has a very realistic attitude. He's in a, probably like 90% of the kids that live here think, I'm stuck here. I'm never going to get out of here. I hate it here. You know, try to rebuild you know. as much as possible. Very last Starfighter. Maybe that's the movie you're thinking about. That's it. Those are fingers pointing at me. Yes. It's good stuff. I think I think Rob might have mentioned that a little earlier, so I just yeah. kind of stole it from him. That's okay. right. It's worth repeating. Right. It's, it's, good, good, it's good movie. It's good movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. I honestly like if you if you didn't if you thought Nova sucked if you hate Nova whatever, 
give the book a chance because it's actually phenomenal. I think it will really tie in tightly with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy over time. But and even if you were an old uh, Rick fan, you know from the original um, Nova, I I think that there's enough possibility to open it up, but we might see the original Nova back in the story. So who knows? It'd be cool if we got if we got him back. I, I used to think that Loeb, uh, writer, he I used to think he hated Marvel. But maybe he doesn't really hate him because this is really good. That's I, I was flipping through it, and I don't normally read much Marvel stuff, right. and this is something that I would like a lot. Like just saying, just from even just looking through it. I, it's yeah, you definitely need to check it out. I know a lot of people don't have faith because it's Nova, but it, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's really good. Okay, let's move on. What was the next one? Guardians of the Galaxy. Interesting, we did those two together. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost like we had a plan. There are no plans here. Yeah. yeah. No plans. Um, uh, again, Hugh, this book, uh, he, uh, Bendis, Steve McNiven does the art, which is amazing. Right. Uh, very, again, very cinematic. It's like another movie book. Right. Um, <clears throat> That's basically about an alien who crashes on Earth. Alien meets woman. Needs to fix his ship. Takes his sweet time while they get along. Come along really well. Ship's fixed. She, he leaves. She's pregnant. Here comes kid. It helps these humanoid. <laughs> yes. But this is uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. Again. Never, no, it's I good. I haven't read much about the Guardians of the Galaxy. But uh, this is really, really good. One, one of the neat things about it is that it, it's truly a 0.1. It's going back beyond what we probably have ever really seen for the character. I mean, he was originally like a 70s character. And in the 70s, it was really like, boom, get out there. we got to know who you are, what you are, and then we can think about your past because we're selling your book. Um and so it was a nice go back and, and see his actual past. And I love that it was, you know, it was supposed to be eight issues or eight pages. And, you know, ultimately it spawned off and it became this 28 page, you know, actual first book. Um, I think it's probably 23 pages. Yeah. But doesn't that doesn't matter. He's right. Like, originally it was supposed to be part of a book called Point One, uh, the second installment of Point One that they put out a year and a half ago that had pieces for books that are just now, like, finishing. Like, they had the first batch of stuff from that for Age of Apocalypse, and that book is ending in, like, one more issue, right? No, two issues. Yeah. And uh, it, it, this is just now coming out, and that book, that series is 19, 20 issues, and now it's ending. So it's like they made us wait, like, a long time for it. And originally this was supposed to be an eight-page story in there to set up Guardians of the Galaxy, but when they did it, there was just so much to it that there was no way it could be eight pages and be okay, because it's just, it's really, really, it's an easy read, which, I mean, as far as that goes, most time when, they, when I think you don't have to think about things, it kind of bugs me, but the way this one's set up, like, it's really, it's really good, like, and like you said, very, very movie story, I mean, huge in scope. Yeah. right, easy to follow, um, the story moves along at a very, I mean, it has everything, everything's covered, yeah, it's it's amazing, really. It's really really good. I I couldn't tell you which one would be better, Nova or or this one. It's I'm a little partial to Nova, <laughs> but uh, but no, I, I I really like the Guardians, and they're taking a new twist on this. And 
yes, it's probably a sales tactic twist, but I still like it anyhow, which is that we're bringing in Iron Man as, like, a member of the Guardians, which, I mean, he was never really a big part of it before, but, you know, he's Now with the he's movies coming, and, you know, like, I get it, as, and I'm perfectly fine with it, as long as... A certain artist does not draw him in this book. <laughs> oh, you can do a lot worse than Greg Land. I know that's what you're talking about. <laughs> Greg Land is actually pretty phenomenal. So. It depends. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I don't know if Groot's smile would be weird. <laughs> it's true. Groot, Groot's smile would be bad news. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. I, I think there's a, there's a lot of potential for this. The Guardians was something that I really enjoyed before. And so I think this is going to be a really fun run on it. Um, it's a great combination of bringing back some of the stuff in the past and moving right on forward to the future, you know, um, building up the old gun, kind of giving him a little bit of an origin, and, and now we're going to be using that origin as a big part of this new storytelling. Yeah, I, I like that too. Like, the idea that we didn't really know Peter Quill's past, I, I usually, I, well, very little, Usually I don't like that, like when they, they did Wolverine Origin, I thought, man, leave well enough alone. Not that every issue is bad, just that the whole concept of that, I thought, man, I, I get why you did it, but, God. This was really well done, I think. And as far as Guardians of the Galaxy is concerned, this is a far departure from the stuff from the 80s. Like, as far as characters are concerned, Charlie, Charlie 13, not a bad character. But at the same time, compared to, like, if he came out now, you'd have to make him, like, bloody dark in order for people to be okay with him. And there's others in there that are, eh, I don't know, some of those stories are just, they're just bad. Not, I don't know, just bad. But the Guardians of the Galaxy from, like, I don't know, was it 2005 forward with Star-Lord with his awesome helmet, Robert Rocket Raccoon, all of them with the, those badass uniforms. You put, you had Adam Warlock in there, Thanos in there. Uh, as far as the story series is concerned, like, all that was before Annihilation, which if you haven't got a chance to check out Annihilation, it's good. It doesn't just have Nova, and it's got everybody. As far as space, like I think after 2005, Marvel figured out how to do space right. Before that, eh, I don't know. There, there were books that happened in space that weren't bad, but at the same time, like that stuff from that particular run was just really, really good. Like well, really all good. The Marvel Now books that I've, that I've checked out, which is a fair amount of them, um, I'd have to say these two are at the very top. I mean, as I'm looking forward to the the next issues. I mean, above a, a lot of them. Well, Thor's up there too, but it's another story. But yeah, I mean, this is they're they're really amazing. Right. Yeah, I I, I agree. As far as uh, when number one comes out, I'm fairly excited for it, and they're they're doing a lot of cool like bonus random things with that one too. So I, I'm pretty excited for number one. I don't think you would have to have the zero point one to have one. I'm pretty sure when they get number one that you'd be fine. But it's like one of those things, like, it's just the extra that goes with it. Um, the only times I really think that those are really, really necessary is, like, when they did a lot of Flashpoint stuff, and they did, like, Emperor Aquaman and the whole Wonder Woman and the Furies. Without both those books, you really missed a whole lot. So if you only read one, you got half the story. Those two are only two I really feel that way a lot about. There's other stuff that you get more bigger picture just by getting everything. But as far as setup is concerned, like... You'd be okay if you just start with number one, but you're way better off if you have 0.1. And a bonus for you, sir, Ross, mm -hmm. is Brian Michael Bendis. I don't think he, him or Jeff Loeb are 
from Scotland. So no, that's a good, good sign. <laughs> I was worried for a little while. Man. Scottish ways. Man, it, it's because he lives on an island of prisoners, man. It's not his fault. Him and the Australians. Well, <laughs> <laughs> for talk that well, I'm from Scotland, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> you know, so. Well, my my anger with him is is far far past. You know, I. And I just, I always think with Grant Morrison, you always have to take everything with a, a grain of salt because you never know what's going to happen with it. He redeemed himself with happy, as far as I'm concerned. See, not, not for me. Like, I don't know if I'll ever get past New X-Men, you know. I didn't, see, I didn't read that. I don't think I'll ever get past that era. So, but I, I still read his action. I still read the Batman Inc. I just... Tell you Joe the Barbarian, dude. That's where it's at. It's a stupid name for a book, but it was awesome. It's a good book. Yeah, yeah, it is. Sean Murphy doing the art helps a lot too, though. It's good. It's good stuff. Okay, so I think that brings us up to Legend of the Shadow Clan uh, number two. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll definitely have more to more to talk on this one. So that'd be right. fantastic. Well, yeah. I I actually I really really enjoyed one. I I got to check out two the other night, and yeah, I, it's fantastic. I love where we're going with it. Um, I just I'm gonna go back to one and see if like. Get, get a few ideas off of this, but um, I really love the idea that you made the connection to um, the Warring States period of Japan, like with this being connected all the way back to Nobunaga and you know Oda and the Toritomes and stuff. I kind of I'm interested to see if that's going to come back into the story or not, or if that was just kind of bringing it in so that there's like a place for that. Um, but I, I love that, and I loved the way that everything kind of worked at the very end of the book, where you kind of are like, well, did he? Did he save himself on purpose? Did he not save himself on purpose? Oh, how I think I, I think one thing we're trying to do with the book is, is everyone has an expectation for you know this type of story. Mm-hmm. The oh, we come from a long line of X, and you know we're gonna stake our claim and fight our battle and whatever. So I, I think we're working hard to sort of change that a little bit. I think issue three kind of brings that out the most. You know, because a lot of a lot of things change in issue three. Even the artist was like all surprised about like where we're going with issue three. Wow, <laughs> well, that's oh, cool. Yeah, the pacing is—I mean, the pacing is just nice and even. I mean, you get a look at all. I mean, every character. Some people seem to be upset that to, we didn't have know. enough ninja action in the second issue. <sighs> but it was sort of like you know, there was still ninja stuff. It was sort of the, the parkour with the twins and like well, maybe not necessarily parkour, but the whole chase sequence. It, that was I don't know that's like ninja action. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think you know it's 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 supposed to be uh, set in the real world. So you know, having ninjas just show up all over the place yes. in the real world, it's a little. It's a modernized. You know, it's it, 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 like that every every character has their chance to come forward and. and I think the artist uh, Corey is is doing a really good job. I, I wasn't really too familiar with him prior to working on Legend of the Shadow Clan. He did another book for Aspen called Broken Pieces. Yeah, I actually one of the very few people in this this <laughs> town that read Broken Pieces, and I yeah I when I saw his name on on your book here, I was like, wow, awesome. I because other than that, I've never seen him before either. I felt like he kind of made a leap. He's actually from the Cupid School, which I didn't know. Really? Uh, Aspen actually uses uh, Alex Conat, who does Fathom, uh, who's I think amazing, and. Uh, and Corey both come from the Cubert School, and I gotta say, I've done my fair share of, of attacks on the Cubert. No offense, Joe. It's just a lie. No offense, Andy and Adam. Uh, that uh, 
in this day and age, you know, with, with like deviant art and, and right. just ways people could learn on their own, I never felt there was really a need for something like the Kubert School anymore. Although they're teaching you basic storytelling techniques that people just don't have. But they used to also teach like lettering and pasting up and, and things that people just don't do anymore. Right. But knowing that these both of these guys came out of the Kubert School, and I mean, there's a lot of guys, when I was a, an intern at Marvel, like Lee Weeks was coming up, and back then there was a huge amount of Kubert School right. guys. Um, but Kubert School guys tend to have a really good storytelling sense. And, um, and at Corey, I think, does a really good job telling the story. He also is one of those artists who puts in little things. Uh, someone today was pointing out the, the chewing of the string on the... Right, yeah. Yeah. On his hoodie when he and was that, playing. That was like him, you know, he just did that himself. He just does cool things like that himself that I, I really like, you know. It makes the story so much better when an artist will do something like that. Right. So I, I don't know if this is art direction or not, but in issue two, there's a scene where he's coming out of the jail and uh, there's a couple guys being hauled in is that cow? Is that Rocksteady and Bebop from the from the Ninja Tur- from the Teenage <laughs> that was, Ninja Turtles? That was, that was him too. I wonder if that is. I don't even know. I'll have to ask him. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I would swear <laughs> that was the two of them. I would swear. I can see him doing something like right? that. Right? It, it's who I get from it. Like it's. Oh yeah. Right. It probably is. It looks it looks an awful lot like I mean, them to me. Uh... <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, see, it's stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's yeah. good. Yeah, I'm happy with these. He's good. I like that we, in the, at this point, we've, we've kind of met who we think our main villain's going to be, or at least a couple of them, because I'm pretty sure we met a couple of them in this book. But the whole idea that he's out there pushing the, the little girl, and so you see, like, the, maybe the more human side of him, and then right afterwards you see him, like, straight up executing dudes. Like, it, I, that was pretty cool. Like, I don't know. It's it, 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 Identifying with your villain, like, there's a lot of people that identify the Joker somehow, which is weird. <laughs> I mostly think it's because I think Joker's awesome. So yeah, they, Right, because yeah, he is. I remember when I was, like, when I was, like, whenever Superman came out, I mean, I'm, like, 45, you know, so I don't know how old I was, 10. And I remember me and my friend Robert Walter were, like, when we first saw that movie, we, we started the Lex Luthor fan club, and uh, <laughs> and I thought that was, you know. Everyone likes to identify with the villain, I think. That is awesome. Or at least uh, I like to think that everyone likes to identify with the villain. It's probably not true, but... I say there's a fair amount to, to liking both sides, because it's hard to like one without the other. I, I have to think, you know, when, when you're working on a series, that you almost have to spend more time on your villain, because he has to be just as interesting or more interesting than your heroes. Yeah, he could ruin it, you know, like just a villain who's, who's generic. Exactly. You got to do something special. You know, it's like why you, you can't continue with a character like Doomsday, because right. he's just he's flat, he's cardboard. But you build a character like Lex Luthor. Well, he's very multiple dimensional. You can do so much with him. Very layered. It's like Peter David was always funny when he did that with those old villains. You know, like like right. Mr. Sinister, and, and mm-hmm. he would just do all those jokes and you know give him character. You know, you take a guy with the name Mr. Sinister. You know. You, it's kind of written on the wall what kind of person he is. <laughs> it's kind of like what Wade's doing with Stilt Man. Really. I mean, this is, he's brought yeah. him back how many times now? Man. <laughs> maybe Wade is going to become the Marvel historian. Maybe. Maybe Maybe he'll throw that on there. He'll be, you know, I guess the position's historian. still open, right? Maybe. Uh, Peter Sanderson was the Marvel historian. He wrote all the Marvel Universe stuff. I don't know. And I, I would still have to give him that title. But I don't think Marvel works with him anymore. So maybe Mark Wade can take it over. <laughs> Maybe so. I, I've actually really enjoyed Mark Wade's stuff. He's picked a lot of titles that I just love to begin with. His Daredevil's been good, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm really happy with what he's done. So. Apparently he's having fun at Marvel. There you are. 
Well, you know, it's always fun when you're getting paid. <laughs> I hate to imagine. I, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. But, uh, I don't know about that all the time. But well, right. yeah, I guess we, we sometimes have jobs we're not that happy with. <laughs> Well, so, okay, so I got a question. I don't know if you can answer this or not. With the, uh, at this point, we're only in issue two, and I get that, but it feels more like, are you, do you want to make another, is this only going to be five issues, or are you wanting to do, is this built to be, like, chapters? This arc is going to be five issues. I I think we're pretty much locked into that. Right. But I always like to think, you know, Again, going back to the expectation, you know, right. there's, a, there's a different way we could convey the first five issues to, to do the origin that right. you know will make it satisfying. I mean, I'd love it to go on. I mean, we have we definitely have more ideas. Uh, the I co-write it with a guy named Brad Foxhoven, who uh, he and I also worked on Executive Assistant Iris together. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, in between that and Witchblade, which I did a long time ago. Uh, the uh, I worked alone for a lot of time, and I find that like working with a guy like Brad, you know, has like pushed me, because you know a lot of times it, when you work, it, you come up with the same ideas. I notice, and then artists do that, you know, writers do that. You know, mm-hmm. you need someone to kind of push you in a different direction. So, and I think he's good at that. You know, saying ah, we've seen that. You know, try to do something different, try to make it better. Christina Z used to push me on Witchblade that way. You know, try to write it better, make the dialogue sound better. Because um, it's hard. There aren't so many people that are like that that push that. But that's a total digression from what you were saying, though. I don't no, know I was no, it. not at all. <laughs> if you listen to what we've been saying, it's, uh, okay. it's all about we're digression. Talking to, uh, we're talking <laughs> about, okay. It's part par for the course, man. I, I'd love it to go on past five issues. It's actually I always have trouble fitting what I want to do. I, I always I, I end up sticking too much stuff in issues. I find that things that I write, I have more scene breaks. I you know my scenes are too short. I'm always trying to stuff things into them. I feel like there was an era, there was a time when everyone started decompressing. I don't know who, Jeff Loeb, I think, does it a lot. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, what was the Jim Lee? Jeff Johns does it to a certain extent, too. And I feel like I missed the decompression boat. Like, I, I should have gone on with it, and then you think, you don't want a story to go as far, and then you can kind of expand it more. Right. But I'm always like, I want this to happen, and this to happen, and this to happen, and they do all these things. I always have to slow down. <laughs> so you get a little ahead of yourself. Yes. <laughs> and then I find that, oh, shoot, I only have 60 pages left. You know, that's where we are with issue three. We're like, oh, we're almost done with issue three, and we've got to do all these things. But I think we're, we're doing it better this time, because we, we planned it a little better. So I think people will really like where, where it's going to go. Like I said, issue three changes. Things change. Basically, the the kids. I'll, I'll just give a little hint that the uh, that each kid has their own kind of mission. Like they all kind of go their own way. Oh. And uh, but it's the very wrong time for them to do that because, as you know from the end of issue two, uh, the bad guy has sort of had a beat on them now. So this is the right. time that we should stick together, but they don't. So it's very much like trouble. kids in the real world. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's, I'll give you that. Yeah. Another, I'm sorry, another thing that I was noticing going through this that I, I actually really liked, again, um, I like that they have the kind of around-the-table scenes where, like, they're eating or the family's together and they're having a kind of meal. And I know it's it's not really that ultimately important, but it's it's like 
it's great setting. It's great drop to have that, you know, the family together and have them around a table and everything. And it's something that they don't do a lot in comics, and I yeah. actually really enjoy it when they do. Yeah, think, yeah, and that's that's the kind of thing. Like, I feel like I'd rather not push the story as far so we could have moments like that, you know, mm-hmm. where the brothers could pick on the sister and, you know. You can relate to the characters better that way because they're normal. Yeah. Well, the other half was, like, it felt really good that this was a family, you know? I mean, the only character that seems kind of distanced was the father, and, and that was just because, well, he had to go to work. But, you yeah. know, everybody else felt really connected, and it feels like a family. And so I think that's really cool. So a great Thank achievement you. there. Yeah. yeah. I think, in general, we're all pretty happy with it. So. Oh, thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. I also don't do superhero stuff ever. I, I have trouble with it. I don't know why. I guess Fathom is the closest I do to superhero, but... Everything I do is like normal people and, you know, just weapons and things. I don't know. Like, that's why, uh, maybe that's why I'm not like a big DC reader. Like, I I always have trouble with Captain Cold, you know, or, or like, not to pick on Captain Cold, <laughs> no, sorry. Yeah. Uh, but, but those kind of uh, origin stories and, I don't know, everything I do is, is more, I try to be more grounded. Uh, you know, maybe I'm not a lot of times in a different way, but... Maybe and then because you said you're not a big Marvel reader, mm-hmm. and I, I guess I always felt like Marvel was a little bit more grounded. Although it's weird the way the writers jump back and forth, you know. Because if a whole bunch of DC writers come to Marvel, do they do the, do the Marvel books start reading a little more like DC books? Mm-hmm. Like does now that Bob Harris is the editor in chief of DC, does that make the DC books sort of read like the old Marvel books used to? It doesn't actually seem like it. It seems mm-hmm. like DC's got its way, mm-hmm. and Marvel's got its way. I guess I'm sort of closer to Marvel in a sensibility. Mm. Uh, maybe because I started there when I was right. 17. <laughs> um, but but I guess, yeah, I don't know. That seems to be... I guess my books aren't... I, don't, I couldn't see this Legend of the Shadow Clan fitting into either Marvel or DC. I guess I'm lucky I could find a publisher that will publish our stuff. <laughs> that's, that's true as well. But, you know, I, I feel... I feel the same about like the way that Marvel and DC are kind of separated. I see actually DC becoming a little bit more like Marvel and wanting to get that kind of more Cuban feel and that more grounded feel and less, you know, Superman, you know, is, is above everybody. Well, did you say Justice, the Justice League of America number one yeah. felt more like a Marvel book than a, than a DC book. Mm. Even in the sense that Marvel books were more the ones where you couldn't just pick up a book and know what was going on. Right. Yeah, uh, because there's so much, <laughs> there's so much interconnection, so much continuity, especially in X title. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's kind of like an X title to me. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I I guess I could probably see Shadow Clan being kind of put into to Marvel, but yeah. at the same time, like it kind of takes away some of what you're doing when you can have a super just show up and like take yeah. care of it. Something you know, about the normal people's plight. Yeah. Mm. And even when you try to do that, you wind up having to do... Like, they've done some great stories with, with Hawkeye over the last couple of years where they, they found great ways mm-hmm. to use him, but they have to be smaller stories. Right. You know, like Daredevil could only fight these, you know, weak guys who yeah. like who, who he, can't go too far in the you know in the real Marvel universe. Yeah, he kind of finds his, his own little niche. Now, I mean, they've, they've done great things with a lot of the depowered heroes, but at the same time, like... The big guys are still always there. They're looming. Yeah. yeah. Even though the Hawkeye book itself currently is managed to kind of keep that on a, yeah, that I mean, very that. street level, very, you know, mm-hmm. and they're really, really good. Yeah, current Hawkeye's really good right, yeah. right now. Is it? 
Yeah, oh yeah. It's it's really it's more like the art style is not my favorite art style, but it fits the story, and uh, it's man, it's just like for the most part, the, at least the very fr- even right now, more of it's like what Hawkeye does on his regular days, mm. where he's not out with the super team doing super things, and the dude just gets a crowd kick out of him all the time. Oh, I guess that is the better way to go with someone like that. Yeah, it, they, they've, they've done a good job with him. He doesn't, you know, he's saving dogs and. and <laughs> Right, you know, yeah. uh, uh, give it, uh, it makes it sound better. He sounds like sure. the anti Deadpool. <laughs> he kind of is. I mean, he's, he's uh, given the mobster. Well, I don't know what do you call them, tracksuit mafia? Is that what they're calling them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, there's some there's some humor and comedy involved in it. It's no, it's it's done. It's it's kind of good. Like the way it works is pretty good. It's 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 it's, it's a good one. Five prints can't be wrong, right? I mean, right. number one's five prints, so number two and three both at four, so uh, okay. yeah, They're doing something right, yeah. But I and, and in the Shadow Clan, you know, I I love that we're in a world that's so grounded in reality. So I'm really interested to see that. And honestly, when I first read it, I was a little surprised that it, you know, I mean, because I it's Legend of the Shadow Clan. It's supposed to be this way, but I was a little surprised, like, oh, it's very Asian, <laughs> like. I don't know why I was actually surprised by that, but well, I kind of was. Of ninjas, you think of like, you know, like uh, feudal Japan or whatever you want to call it, but this is like yeah, it's very, it's very modern. Yeah, high tech toys. It, it was yeah, very. It's modern, man. Exactly. Modern. It, it's very modern, but I, I was just, I don't know, maybe it's just my own prejudice. When I came to it at first, I was like, wow, this is very Asian. This is, you know, I, I liked that it was though. <laughs> I just thought it was, it was surprising to me. It was enough that I actually registered it. I don't know. That's why I was the exact same way. Yeah. And I, I, I watch a lot of, you know, like Japanese films and anime and stuff. And so it's not something new to me. It was just something that I was very happy with. Because, I mean, they're, they're an Asian family. And so it was really cool that they actually came off and was like, oh, Asian people. <laughs> this comic. <laughs> it's good stuff. I don't know if that was something that you were going for. I did, yeah. yeah. Well, well, I mean, if you had an Asian family, I mean, you had no, I, I wanted to be authentic. Yeah, no, it came across really well, and I, it was enough that I was really like, oh, I was kind of surprised. There's a lot of the times where you're reading these characters, and, like, they think you have to, like, be beaten over the head that yeah. they're, uh, they're an ethnicity instead of just letting it be. Man, like Blue Beetles that way. Like, exactly. the first yeah. five issues yeah. after that, yeah. it got better. I but... got to say, uh, what was the... What was what I was reading today? With the just like oh, America, I was reading the, the Tim Seeley Witchblade. Oh, okay. And there's that that like African American character in it that mm-hmm. that he says like MF like every other word and yeah. he he sounds like he sounds like Marcellus Wallace, you know, like yeah. it's <laughs> which is which is a good time, but it doesn't seem very organic, right? Right. You know? Yeah, it's just like it's like out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah they're I, bad about it with certain certain characters, man. Like no offense. No, no, n- not at all. This is this isn't a. It's not anything. We're reading the book because we know what the character is. Yeah, I like, actually liked it, but but that stuck out to me that yeah. it just it just seemed weird. I, I mean, you you even feel that in Vive here, where you know you you have moments where it's not like they're they're really acting like they're very Spanish, but like they'll throw in that word, you know, they'll throw in like Chico and no, uh, right. you know, whatever, so that you go, oh, okay, they they're Spanish, you. but. Like I, I think we got away with it in, in Chetaklan without having that at all. Yeah, I mean, it just yeah, came across really, really well, and it was just it was one of those things that like, it just stood out to me. And so, you know, hey, congrats! It was fantastic. Hey. <laughs> it was work. It's very natural. Yeah. 
Okay, so before we, last thing. So we last week we actually asked if anybody wanted to email questions, and surprisingly enough, we got some. I think most of them are from Curtis. Um, <laughs> being that he's not here, um, that's all right. Not all of them are. <laughs> that's Cayman Rider thing, man. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say that. So yeah. it's it's. Yeah. I'm gonna watch Cayman Rider when I go home. All right, <laughs> at least a little bit of it. Don't judge it on the first one. Give it a couple. I watch. I want to watch the dark one. Black? Oh, okay. Cam okay. Rider Black. That's a, I like that, yeah. Okay, that's a good one. Um, so, I've got five questions since we're top five comics. Wow. So, Rob, I'm going to have you do the first one. Were there more than five? Um, yeah, were actually, there, there were. No, no, there was, we, we, got, we got eight emails. Um, two of them were basically the same question, and then, like, three of them were from Curtis. <laughs> and I'm like, man, you're killing me, Curtis, because these aren't, he's like, I just have so many questions, and I'm like, I know, man. I understand. Yeah. It would have been a lot of fun to have today. Yeah. Kurt, yeah, he did. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah. Maybe if we ever, you know. Okay, so maybe, we're Maybe tr- when the Shadow Clan goes to monthly. <laughs> we'll have you back. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Will, we'll, we can do something. We'll try to, man. Okay, go. So, if you could work with any writer or artist right now, who would you want to work with? Hmm. I would probably say... Greg Tocini, who we work with at Radical on Last Days of America Crime, oh. I think it's phenomenal. And Raphael Albuquerque, who's actually connected to Greg Tocini. And Lionel, yeah, I think um, when when uh, Greg Tocini first started with Rick Remender, oh, uh, right, yeah. I think I think Raphael Albuquerque got him in touch with Greg Tocini. Somehow there, there's a connection there, and I oh. like them both a lot. And Lionel Yu, I think, is really good. And Nico Sawayan, I would like to work with any of those guys. I think they're both really cool. Mm-hmm. I also mangled his name, probably. Uh, but I think he's he's really cool. That last season American Crime, excellent. And as a writer, I mean, I'm a writer, so you know. But I'd love to correct like with a guy like Rick Remender, I think would be really cool. Warren Ellis as an editor, I worked with a long time ago on uh, Tales of the Witchblade story that he okay, did for us, yeah, the yeah. third one. And um, it would be cool to work with him again as an editor, you know, co-writer. But now, just, just as an addition, I'm sorry, this isn't even actually another question, but I I always wonder this when you when you co-write with somebody. How does that really work out? I mean, do you does somebody actually write the whole thing and then you know your your other reads it and kind of makes editorial notes, or do you guys both like just come together and brainstorm? I, just, I think it changes. That. Like I know, like Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray, uh, uh, I know they take turns. Like one person's the main person, and then you know they'll kind of pass things back and forth to each other. Um, and I guess that's kind of the way I work with with Brad. Like he'll he'll have a lot of like very basic ideas what he wants to do, but he won't really have an idea of how to. N- expand them then i'll expand them and then he'll tell me what i did wrong and then he'll kind of push me um like with christina z and i then we took turns too where i was i was kind of more like creating the story she was really good at embellishing the dialogue and making it sound better you kind of with the right person you kind of find what you're both good at and uh and then work toward that with the wrong person uh usually you'll end up rewriting each other and fighting and, and not really like having a good connection Usually it doesn't last too long when it's the wrong person. But with with the right person, like I said, if uh, I I really like to be pushed, you know, there aren't there aren't too many editors who really push a writer. They just have too much going on. They'll just let it go. Like you know, DC editors are are, are obsessed with you know making sure that that whoever their main person is 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 cool with whatever's going on and. You know, everyone has their own agendas to a certain extent, but most of those agendas don't revolve around pushing the writer to make the story better. Mm. It's pushing the writer to make sure the characters sound right or make sure, you know, other things. Yeah. Uh, so I like working with people who actually will help me improve. It's, you know, it's tough on your ego 
because you, he's he he doesn't he won't say to me your stuff sucks, but he'll say uh, that's okay, but try this way different other thing instead, which is basically the same thing. <laughs> um, but but you know, like I know that ultimately, if everyone wants the story to be the best, then you know, then it's okay. So a lot of a lot, writers don't work a lot of times together because they all want their own ideas to be the one, and everyone always loves their own ideas. That's like a natural thing. So you have to push that aside and and know that if someone else you respect isn't liking what you're doing, then you're probably wrong, even though what you think is right. Except once in a while when you push it, I push them aside and say, no, no, this is what I want to do. Okay. Uh, where do you get your ideas, or where do you draw your ideas from? Uh, I rip off uh, anime. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you know, it really comes from anywhere. You know, uh, uh, Executive Assistant Iris came from a, a New York Times article about executive assistants, and we just kind of created a story around that. Shadow Clan was, was the the simplest, was like, let's do a modern ninja story, you know, and then it's just creating it from there. Uh, that's always the hardest part, you know, is, is coming up with something. First, you know, you look around, look at all these stories. I mean, you know, there's just so many different things. Uh, so many different stories are so much like other stories. So you really have to do a hard look. Once you come up with that initial idea, modern ninjas, you know, how is this going to be different than uh, Tenchu, you know, video games? Right. You know, there's just so many different ways and so many different stories that you just don't want to be the same as. Because whenever someone looks at it, they are going to say, oh, this is a ripoff of that. When we did Witchblade, the, it was, oh, it was a ripoff of... Uh, it was some anime and I was like no we ripped off Stormbringer and we ripped off all these other things I mean the Eternal Champion not a rip off I said not the right way to say it we emulated the Eternal right. Champion story you know the, the smart weapon I mean it's all in minor ways usually people when they accuse you of ripping something off they you know they'll just pick something out there like we've been accused of ripping off I guess everyone's always accused of ripping yeah. off whatever um but I try not to, you know. I, I mean, I don't want to do something that seems like something else. We'll throw out 99% of our ideas when we're like, ah, oh, that sounds too much like X, Y, and Z. Because right. you don't want that. It's 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 annoying. It's like when we were talking about Nova here, and it's like, oh, well, it's basically like the Green Lantern for Marvel. Well, it's, it's really not. But Right. I mean, when you distill it down to that one sentence, that's what it is. But you know it goes in a different direction. Right. That's actually, it's funny that you mentioned that. I do a lot of music. That's, I find myself doing that when I write music, too, is I'll, I'll write something and I'll play it for a while, and then I'll, I'm like, yeah, this is really cool, and it's like, brand new, and then I'll go and listen to my iPod or something, and be like, oh, that's that's why I liked it so much. That's <laughs> what I just heard, like, an hour ago. And then you wonder, though, why other people mm -hmm. will just rip it off and be okay with it, you know? Mm -hmm. Like Vanilla Ice saying, oh, no, it's da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That's a different song uh, than yeah. Under Pressure. Yeah. Or like all those people who do all those lawsuits and say their songs aren't the same. Mm. I, I don't get that. I feel like, why don't you try... I mean, I guess in those cases, I do get it, because they're making a ton yeah. of money. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, you want it to be something different. Mm. And, yeah, your mind, you'll read something or, or hear something, and suddenly it's just floating back there in your head. Yeah, that's... You think it's awesome, so it's what comes out when you... <laughs> right. So you want to do something awesome? Uh-huh. Yep. I got to give him a nice little credit there, though, for the whole coming back from having no career at all, having some weird semblance of a career. Yeah. Dude's awesome. That's off to the life. Right. You know what, sadly, he's got some weird cred, because, you know, I mean, like like Corey Feldman, I believe it is, 
that like actually owns up and says like, yeah, I was a dumbass and I did all these drugs and now I've survived it and I'm trying to do better. Like, I like that he accepts it and that, you know, like, like he's actually taking responsibility for it and not just being like, well, I was a child actor and it hurt me. <laughs> you know, so I, yeah. I give him cred for that, and it's kind of hard to say like that I give any cred to Vanilla Ice. Man, but I, <laughs> but I, I love both Vanilla Ice and Corey. I will watch. I watch Lost Boys till the end of time. Uh, we were, we were there for maybe not number two. Don't watch number two. One, one and three, and you're good. Don't, don't watch number two. <laughs> All right, another, another question for you. What's it like to edit a book you've uh, written? Uh, well, it's hard. I mean, you can't do it. It's, it's, you're always, I mean, there's, there, I guess there's two sides of that. There's a side that most writers, or I think most good writers, most good artists, a lot of the guys we used to work with at Top Cow hate what they write and what they draw. And like the second it comes out, I never want to see it again. So the last thing I want to do is edit it. Um, but you always obviously, you know, want to keep making it better. But I think it's really hard because going back to what I was saying before that, you know, most people just like what they do. So you're not going to see the faults in it. Uh, the only fault I usually see in it is like repeating words. I hate repeating words. I hate people that repeat words. Unless unless you're doing it on purpose. Like, I think it's a lazy habit that I think people do. People write lazily and editors don't stop them from doing it. So I really try to work hard to. That's, that's a very minor point in the grand scheme of things, but it's, I focus on it a lot. That's something I noticed earlier today when we played that the video for Kickstarter stuff. Um, in there, I, I say whatever, like, the beginning of two different sentences very, very close to each other. It annoys me so bad right now, <laughs> and I don't know how to fix it without reshooting the whole thing. <sighs> Side note, sorry. There was actually a, a little addendum I would like to add on that, um, but I, I just wondered... Like a series like Witchblade that's obviously gone on for a long, long time. When you come to a series, well, this could be any series that you're working on, but when you come to a series that you've written for, and now you're coming back and there's another author in place, and you're doing the editing, how does that work out? Like, how, how does... Uh, you know, it's hard, because you really want to let the new writer do their own thing. So, I, I guess I've had a, an interesting... Interesting isn't the right word. I've had a unique career that um, that I've done that a lot. You know, I've created a whole bunch of things or co-created a whole bunch of things and was the editor-in-chief, so that did happen a whole bunch of times, you know, that new writers would come along on different projects and I'd have to see what they wrote. And, you know, it would be tortuous for both of us if, uh, if I was trying to make them do it the way I would have done it. Yeah. So, again, it's, it's something that's compartmentalizing and, you know, knowing that the way I did it is gone. And plus, you know, not like what I wrote was so great all the time either. I mean, like, I hate looking at Aphrodite 9 because I know I could have written that so much better if I was a more mature writer when I wrote it. But I, I didn't do it well. There were things, actually, when Paul Jenkins came to Top Cow, there were things about my writing that he told me were not right. You know, that like when I write, have like 20 captions on a page that were like two words each or something. And at the time, I thought it was really meaningful. And now, you know, I agree that it was kind of stupid. Um, so, like, that kind of stuff, I could I could use my wisdom that I've gained and take the Paul Jenkins role and be like, you know, you're not doing that right. Not because it's, it's the way I would have done it, but just because people aren't going to read it the right way. It just doesn't work. So I think it's always, you got to let the writer, you know, have his freedom. It's actually uh, happening right now because, oh, uh, 
I might not be allowed to talk about it, so oh, I forget it. Let, okay. me, let me scratch that. Right. Uh, I'm actually working with somebody who is working on something that I had written for a long time, and he's bouncing it off me all the time. Mm. And I'm just trying to help him make his story better without, without thinking about my own, yeah. what how I would have done it. Because I have to imagine it's always rattling around back there like, oh, I would have done this, or this is where I was going. Yeah, always to a certain thing. extent. Yeah. But, I, but I know usually if I'm not writing something, it's because I ran out of gas on it. You know, like I haven't really been fired off of things as much as I felt like I didn't really have any good ideas for it anymore. And then it is tough though because then when someone else does something good, you know, I'll have to think like I could have done that. You know, I could have been better than that, even though it's not true. And even though you know, like I still wouldn't have been able to come up with a good enough idea. Um, so yeah, it's hard a little, but I, I think because I was an editor before I was a writer, I uh, I'm cool with it. You know, I understand it. Cool. Another question. Uh, what impact did Michael Turner have on you? Uh, he had a, a huge impact on me. Uh, he was like one of the first guys that, when I got to Top Cow, he like we met him. I think at the first San Diego con that we went to. Um, there was a whole bunch of guys, artists around then. Joe Benitez and David Finch were all guys that within the first six months we brought into Top Cow. Uh, Billy Tan. Uh, but but Michael Turner was kind of special to me in in different ways because I uh, his first samples that he sent to us like Mark Silvestri didn't really like him too much but he did these like really incredible backgrounds um, so we brought him in as a background artist I kind of fought for him and, and lobbied for him um, and then once he was brought into Top Cow he he rose up through the ranks really fast you know much to the envy of people around him and then you know Witchblade was really the the first book that I was proud to be writing, you know, that Brian Haberlin and I kind of came up with this concept together and we really liked it. And then Michael was on the rise and he started drawing it. And, uh, and I, at first I really hated what he was drawing. He wasn't following what I was writing. He was always drawing things differently. He was doing this, this, this cinematographic or cinematograph, no, cinematography, Cinematographic style. I don't know what's that word. Cinema. Cinematography is cinematography is the word. Yeah. And drawing it like like you were saying before, you know, like the film style. Yeah. Yeah. And um, like he would just draw things different than I envisioned them. I, I, I Sarah Pizzini was 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 going on a like an undercover thing, and I wrote that she should be all conservative, and then he put her in this Versace dress, and then I had to write it like differently because of the way he drew it. And I would bitch about him, and I'd be like, uh, the New York police station, and he drew like, it didn't look like New York, and, and I thought people really cared about this stuff. And uh, and then, you know, the first issue came out, and people seemed to like it, and everyone loved him, and um, and it made me realize the things that I was focused on were so not right. Like, he actually had a way better understanding of, of what readers wanted to see than I did. And um, And then, so I sort of ended up going along for the ride with him <laughs> um, as his career took off and my career kind of took off in his wake, you know, <laughs> never obviously as, as far as he went. Uh, and then from then on, you know, I, I just had a unique position to be able to watch his career grow. You know, I helped develop Fathom and then, you know, he had his issues with Top Cow and kind of started his own company. Right. 
we always had this kind of unique relationship with each other that for a while was trouble when I was still a top cow, but then when I finally left and was able to do other things, he, you know, welcomed me back in and, and you know, always sort of acknowledged, you know, that, that his career would have gone a different way if he and I hadn't have met and, like, worked together. So I kind of feel like I didn't help him become a better artist. <laughs> he did that all on his own. Um, I think Mark Silvestri probably helped make him a better artist. And also a lot of guys at Top Cow, Joe Benitez, and he really benefited from the Top Cow artist-driven system. Um, but he was like a really amazing creative guy, you know, and, and he just understood what people would want to see. And, uh, and even like the guys that he brought with him to Aspen, you know, all the guys that I'm still friends with now and work with now, you know, right. they created like a really cool culture. They created what we liked at Top Cow when we were in our heyday and Aspen sort of remained that way when Top Cow sort of veered off in a different direction and got obsessed with different things, okay. um, which aren't bad, but they're not what, what they yeah, started. I, um, and I really, I love Mark, you know, I mean, he, he brought me to Top Cow and we were together for 11 years, so I have nothing but respect for him and what he's done with the company. And, uh, and Mike too, you know, and, and like, basically, I, he, he was really good to me and, you know, executive assistant Iris like took off because he helped it happen. So, you know, I miss him a lot. He's, uh, one of the, one of the things that I regret is that, uh, there was an Aphrodite nine cover, uh, that he did the, the fourth, we did like all these alternate, uh, issues, uh, alternate covers. And he did one of the alternate covers and, uh, with the little platform thing, I signed one today. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I remember at the time we were like, not so thrilled with it. Um, I felt like he kind of hacked it out. And uh, and then we found out later that it was while he was drawing that cover that he first found out they had cancer. And um, so I felt really guilty about, you know, even like, like thinking about that. Yeah. Not to bring a downer to this whole yeah. uh, podcast. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, and he fought that for years and, and like kept trying to work so hard while he was doing it. And like, he just always wanted to get better. Like, he always wanted to tell cool stories and get better as an artist. If you look at Witchblade to Fathom to Soulfire, he just always was improving. Uh, and even when he was sick, you know, I mean, he, he just pushed all the time to try to be the best. And he, like, inspired me a lot. Thanks. I appreciate that, man. That's, that's, good, that's good stuff. Yeah, I, 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 only, I, met, I only got met Mike once, like, at a show. And it was before the Wizard article came out. And I remember being so mad because I was like, man, these people, these guys are supposed to be here to sign books and stuff. And uh, then he, he got down and he signed some books for us. And I was like, wow, he's really, really awesome, actually. Like, super, super nice. I was afraid for a while I hated Campbell, too, actually. Because he's, he, when he was young, Jay Scott, when he was yeah. young, he used to blow off things. Yeah. And he would do things that were very not fan-friendly. And I, I held a lot of grudge for that for a while. Yeah, Mike never did. He always cared about no. the fans a lot. Yeah, it, like I regret ever being mad at him for like that <laughs> half hour because it was retarded. And uh, yeah, I felt really bad afterwards. And then when I read that article, like my heart dropped because I was like, oh my God, no wonder the dude was half hour late because he was busy taking care of himself. Like yeah. what the hell? I felt like a really bad person right there. And I don't feel very bad very often because I'm kind of a jerk. <laughs> anyway, so we got one more question. But okay. thank you, I appreciate that that story. Thank you. 
Dance mm -hmm. one, 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 two, three, four. I'm five. Oh, okay. uh, I set that up because the last one's kind of my fault. Well, I cheated some questions in the middle. Yeah, that's true. Oh, you yeah, did. Actually, you did add a couple more. Ones. So technically, there's only five that were actually supposed to be real questions, and Rob's got like addendum this, addendum that. Five official questions. Five official questions. So this one's gonna throw it off and ruin it. <clears throat> no, don't waste it. No, it's like a magic thing. He's not. He's not Scottish. Okay, so, and you mentioned her a couple times tonight, actually. Uh, do you know what ever happened to Christina Z? Uh, I think she, she works in movies. Uh, she was somehow involved in Die Hard 3, like with production design or something. Really? Her name's... No, was it Live Free or Die Hard? Was that oh, 3? Okay. Four. Okay. No, four. four. Okay, 3 was probably earlier. Um, you know, uh, she did... When we stopped working together, she did some work for Valiant and did some comic work. Before we started working together, she, was, she did a lot of um, journalism. Like, she wrote a lot of articles about music and things and... She's always a huge music fan. Uh, we talk, you know, still. Uh, we both had obsession with the mantis shrimp. And, um, and I recently saw mantis shrimp when I was in Catalina Island, and I sent her a picture of it, Evan, on my phone. Um, so, yeah, and she does, like, private detective work and stuff. I think she still likes working in comics, too. Wow. She's a, she's a very um, eclectic person, and she gets involved in a whole bunch of different things. Yeah. But, uh, but it was, you know, when we were together, we really complimented each other. But then, you know, like going back to what I said sometimes, you know, like her and I didn't quite work as well because she really wanted to be the main person. And, um, and it was tough for her that I was the editor-in-chief at Top Cow, so I always seemed like she could never be an equal with me because I was a co-writer and editor-in-chief, and she was co-writer and not. Um... So she really wanted to strike out on her own, or else we probably would have stayed together for longer working together. Oh. That's cool. That's good. I always thought she was really, really hot. God, <laughs> just so hot, man. Yeah. I would, Steve. I can't help it, man. She's pretty lady. I honestly don't know if I saw her, but I'm, I'm just seeing her name on stuff, so... You probably, you probably could Google her and see pictures sure. if you want to. Sure. They're not the kind of pictures you want, but they're <laughs> pictures. <laughs> You don't have to tell her I said that. If you talk to her. But you could if you uh, wanted to. If you want me to, I will. So you'd probably appreciate it. You'd tell her. I'm, I'm all right with that. Maybe she can give you guys some pointers on PI work, because I think you guys would be great PI. <laughs> you'd be like the idiot detectives. You could turn, turn it into a TV show or a comic. There you go. There's your next. Where do my ideas come from? Right here. <laughs> if there's idiot detectives, I really want them to have a beard. Regular ass dumbasses doing detective work. <laughs> That's a good name for a book. There you go. We could probably make it into an acronym, and it'll be great. And you won't even need to ask me where I came up with the idea. A. Yeah. Rada. Rada. There you go. Oh man. That's actually really funny. Let's go. <laughs> oh, God. All right, so, uh, Rob, uh, books to watch for? Oh, shoot, there's there's all sorts of books to watch for. Um, at this point, I'd say, actually, Guardians of the Galaxy number one, definitely take an eye out for Nova 2, and what the heck is going on with Teen Titans and Tim Drake, and, of course, please, let's make the Shadow Clan be monthly. That'd be awesome. Okay, you're only supposed to pick one. Uh, Jay, books you're going to read next week? Next week? Oh. It doesn't have to be out next week. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of good ones to go with. Um, Probably a good one would be... I'm 
kind of going towards there. I was thinking of uh, Wolverine and X Men. That has been really good lately. I mean, it's it's been good from the start, and it's still kicking. It. It's a fun book, yeah. Yeah. Ross? No, I'm always on the Aquaman and Justice League vote. I like those a lot. But uh, it's another kind of off one. Well, kind of. Not really off from Justice League at all, but Flash. I like the Flash a lot. Right. Yeah, Ruby. Oh, really? I, I share an office with Brian. Oh, awesome. <laughs> That's way cool. There you go, Ross. <laughs> I'll say maybe Superior Spider-Man Saga. I'll give you both those, and Thanos Stables is going to be out in the Denver show doing stuff, so if you're going to that show, take their books with you. I want to read Saga. I better read that. Yeah, it's pretty good. I also look out for just regular X-Men. It's going to be out soon, and it's going to be pretty awesome, so... And uh, don't forget, it's uh, not coming out just yet, but Superman Unchained is coming soon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, I, that <laughs> title thing, I can't. I have a hard time with that title. I'm surprised that they will. So, Davey, parting words? Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Okay. I, yeah. And yeah. Uh, good night, Grand <laughs> Junction. <laughs> I, you, you've been incredibly candid. I'm so happy with that. Like, There's a lot of people that are very, like... They're very close, and like they they come and they want to do it, but they don't really want to talk. And you've been awesome all day, so thank you, thank you. Yeah, we really appreciate you coming out, man, for sure. Like really, right, kids? I think that's it. Tiki, tiki, tiki. It's only Mike. No, tiki. Just me. Tiki. 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 Is that like Mahalo or Aloha? I wish. Maybe it's more like attack the team and writers. Oh, right, right, right. It's always back the team and writer. Always back the. That's all.